Welcome to This Climate Business, the podcast about turning the climate crisis into an opportunity. I'm Vincent Herringer. Every week I talk to entrepreneurs, investors and experts about what they're doing to solve the climate crisis and get New Zealand down to zero emissions by 2050 or sooner. This Climate Business is brought to you by Podcasts New Zealand. The Chia Sisters is the kind of New Zealand food company we all hope for. Lovingly created by a family business and bottled in a solar-powered factory, this healthy energy drink is delicious, premium and wholly sourced from local ingredients. The company is certified carbon neutral, it pays its workers a living wage and is a founding member of Future Foods Aotearoa, a network of pioneering food companies that are making the volume to value story a reality in New Zealand. Is it too good to be true? I spoke to founders, I was going to say flounders, I spoke to founders Florence and Chloe Van Dyke about their vision for a different kind of food company and I started by asking Chloe just exactly how do you make a drink out of chia seeds? We'll start with Chloe, tell us about chia and why it's such an interesting product and how do you go from chia seeds to a drink? I studied neuroscience at university and then I went on to study herbal medicine. So I have a real interest in understanding and scientifically validating the health benefits behind plants. At the time, Florence was training as a triathlete, so she was looking for something high in nutrition. And when I started researching different plants, I came across chia seeds which are rich in omega-3, magnesium, calcium, iron, zinc, electrolytes and fibre, a lot of the things that we tend to need more of in our diet. But the catch is that they need to be hydrated in order for those nutrients to be absorbed. So the drink was the perfect form for getting those nutrients into the body and having them be absorbed and utilised in the best way possible. We started playing with local Nelson blackcurrants and apples. And so our first prototype was hydrated chia seed, blackcurrant and apple. We took that out to friends and family, followed by the local supermarket and cafe and, and grew from there. Hmm. What's the taste of a chia seed on its own? Does it need to have this supplement of a blackberry or a raspberry or something to make it more palatable? It's just quite bland on its own. So we wanted to bring some of the beautiful regional flavours into the drink. Hmm. So that drink uh, was tested on friends and family. It's always good to have a few guinea pigs, isn't it? What was the reaction and what gave you the encouragement to take it up a notch? I think we had a hugely positive response from friends and family and also the sporting community in Nelson. Then trialling it out in different cafes and supermarkets, we took it over to Wellington. And I think it was at that stage that I uh, quit my day job and travelled around the country and realised that this product had wings for a business, which wasn't necessarily the intention to start with. Hmm. Did you as a scientist want to build in some sort of I don't know, proof of its efficacy? Did you do any testing of the results and did you use Florence as your subject? <laughs> yes, I mean, Florence is an amazing athlete. She's done the coast to coast and won um, several <laughs> different triathlon events as well. 
and has been the perfect uh, testing ground for chia. But we've done the um, we've done the nutritional testing as well. So we've got all the different nutritionals in there that can make claims such as improving cognitive function, immunity, um, decreasing fatigue, and digestive health. So we've gone through that process as well, and that's certainly extending into some of the other products that we're exploring as well. Mm. I mean, you've had a steady stream of products, and you've been very deliberate in the way you've built this business. The growth of Chia Sisters came organically. So we made a batch and then we sold it. And when you um, have sold product, that gives you confidence to take the next step. It wasn't as though I started knowing that this was going to be a business. I didn't have a portfolio of different businesses, but I was going to be like, okay, which one is the right product or company to invest in? It was mm. it was more that we created something for ourselves and it worked and it was different and it was unique and it was something that the market was wanting at the time. And as those sales increased, that gave us the confidence confidence to keep reinvesting in the company and push forward. At the time that we launched the drink, um, there was a growing interest in health and well-being and there wasn't anything else available. And um, we had an amazing, unique selling point, which is what a buyer is going to ask you. Um, someone who would buy one of our drinks wouldn't necessarily buy any other drink that was currently available. And so mm. it was an added buy for them. At the same time, company transparency has become a lot more important. So your values and staying true to those values, and it's not just about having a flashy ad on TV anymore. It's being able to say our company Chair Sisters is solar powered, it's zero carbon, we're Nelson's first living wage employer, and that's not stuff you can make up or just do as an add-on. It really goes to the core of our business, and that mm-hmm. resonates with buyers, and it probably resonates with buyers of our products because it also resonates with that end consumer. Customers are becoming more and more aware of being able to dig down into a company's core values and see what they're really about, which has certainly been a benefit for us. Those things, they add a lot of credibility, but they add a lot of cost as well. I'm curious to know about motivations for doubling down on sustainability with being carbon neutral for being the first solar powered beverage business in New Zealand. Paying the living wage, typically businesses are trying to drive down the costs of production to remain competitive in the market. So tell me about how you justified those costs coming into the business. This feels to us the way that business should be done, even though it's not the norm at the moment. Perhaps that's because business as usual isn't right. For us, it's also about our personal values. Uh, We grew up in a family that was very interested in sustainability and the environment. It almost wasn't a decision for us. We built those personal values into our business, just the same as we did with the nutrition concepts. We're always looking at the most sustainable way of doing things. More recently, we've realised that this is financially beneficial as well. More and more consumers Mm. are looking to support companies that are sustainable. This change is going to be encouraged or is being encouraged by the government and pieces of legislation like the Climate Change Commission's most recent report are showing that businesses will have to be reporting on these things in the future. Our push for other businesses is why be a lagger when you could be a leader in this field. Going beyond that, as we all know, our employees are our greatest asset. Companies are driven by the passion and caliber of people. And as the younger generation are choosing to work for businesses that have an ethical backbone, I think we'll mm. see the rise of more thoughtful generation of business. 
Yeah, that's interesting. And what mechanism have you used to be carbon neutral? Is there a particular platform you've chosen? We've created our own five-step process. So that started with engaging a local consultant, ECOS, that measures our carbon footprint. Hmm. We felt that was really important to get the data to understand the problem that we were trying to solve. The second step was to use that footprint, that data, to reduce our carbon emissions as much as possible. We did that by the solar panels, insulating our our bottling line through eliminating all of our air freight and through purchasing an electric vehicle when we needed a new one. We offset all of the remaining emissions by 120% to become carbon negative. We offset those emissions in the local Ramika forest, which is a native forest just over the hill from us in Golden Bay. We built that into our business decision-making process so that for every single business decision, we consider the impact of the carbon emissions. Hmm. We actually had Sean on, on this climate business only a couple of episodes ago, and you talked about that forest that you've just invested in. So very interesting. You come from Nelson. Nelson does seem to be a hotbed of sustainability businesses, but also boutique food businesses. There's something about Nelson that we haven't been told. (laughs) First thing for us is that we have found businesses and people here so eager to collaborate. Everyone's very open-minded. There's no competitive atmosphere. One of the examples of that is our little box of sunshine, which we launched during lockdown. It was a gift box full of Nelson's best food producers. We sent hundreds of those out all over the country. We were able to come up with the idea and launch it in days The other food producers that made up that box, they're our friends. We collaborate constantly. We're always talking. We're very open with what's happening in our businesses and always looking to support one another. I think it's also Mm. a hotspot for entrepreneurs because people want to live here. It's such a beautiful place to live. You can bike to work, go mountain biking, swimming in the oceans, climb a mountain, all from your doorstep. So people move here and they may not have the job opportunities that they have in a big city. So they think, what can I create? What can I do to add value and make it happen? Yeah, I think that's very true. All of these initiatives you've taken would have been pioneering in 2014, 2015 when you were starting, but every year the market seems to catch up. What are you doing to stay ahead? Innovation is always at the core of our business, but on the sustainability front, we don't want to be ahead. We're never going to be able to make change if it's just us. Our goal has always been to bring every business along with us and we have a real open door policy for anyone that wants to learn more about our solar panels or our zero carbon process. We've actually done hundreds of workshops, spoken to hundreds of businesses through workshops with businesses for climate action, encouraging other businesses to become zero carbon. We very much see this as a collective effort. That's the only way we're going to make change, particularly the extremely fast change that is needed with climate change. That organisation, Businesses for Climate Action, were you not responsible for also creating that group? Yes, we founded that in 2019. Our vision is to have a thousand Nelson businesses measuring their carbon emissions and also working collaboratively to share data and share knowledge and come up with blueprints for best business practice for reducing carbon emissions for a net zero carbon economy. That's amazing. So in addition to running your own businesses, you're also setting up your own industry group and um, 
<laughs> uh, where do you find the time, I suppose, is the question. That's a good question. When we're not commuting. Because <laughs> <laughs> we live in Nelson, everywhere's right next door to where you work. So you've had this steady stream of new products coming out. You've been busy building the environmental sustainability credentials of the organisation. You're on a steady march to success and then COVID hits and all of a sudden HOSPO is in a spiral of decline. You're having to socially distance. What was that experience like and how did you cope? It was an extremely difficult time for us. The week before lockdown, we were making more drinks than we ever have before. We were just going from success to success, had thousands of cafes around New Zealand stocking our products, also exporting to Hong Kong, to Australia. Then on the day that lockdown was announced, our domestic sales to cafes, which usually make up about 70% of our domestic turnover, dropped to zero. From that day onwards, for the next 12 weeks, we didn't have a single order from a cafe. Our supermarket sales also continued to drop as consumers started looking at how they could stock up on pantry essentials rather than on-the-go health drinks. We were totally unprepared for that experience. We knew that the pandemic might hit New Zealand the speed at which it came here, the impact that it had was something that we hadn't prepared for. We naively thought that people would be looking for health drinks during that time, which was certainly not the case for us. It's not an unreasonable assumption, but your point is it didn't turn out to be true. Chloe, how did that feel? You know, How did you cope with the stress of that? It was certainly very challenging, but I think we've put so much work into creating a really strong team. It was right then when that happened that our team really came together and started innovating and started thinking of new ways to do things. Now, production manager Kevin brought in his wife and two daughters to run the production line so that we wouldn't need to burst any existing bubbles. And that's just one example of mm. how our team worked really well together. We also started innovating and creating new ideas and realizing that our customer channels had changed and consumer habits were evolving continuously. So how could we create a system that could tap into that? And what did you discover as a result of that innovation process? We shifted very rapidly to an e-commerce platform. People did want to support us and you know people were looking for health drinks. It's just they weren't looking for them in cafes or at the front fridge in the supermarket. We started innovating new products and putting them on our website. And it was a really exciting time because suddenly failure was off the cards. It was already like the worst thing that could have happened to small businesses in New Zealand happened. Anything that you tried and failed at, it didn't matter anymore. Failure was on the cards. It was yeah. very much on the table already it was a complete possibility and so if, if that's likely to happen let's just throw what we can at it <laughs> it was very liberating one of the first products that we launched was our mum's muesli our mum makes amazing muesli and we knew that lots of people had enjoyed home baking during lockdown we launched this muesli on our website and the concept was that you know it's not going to the supermarket it's not going to the grocery store it's going direct to our customers doorsteps we just made it once every week we took pre-orders. That meant wow. that people receiving it within 48 hours of it coming out of the oven. That was a real success. Hmm. Have those changes that you did then continued in a kind of post-COVID environment? Absolutely. Another one that we made, I think it was in August during lockdown, was, was the hot tonic made for those winter months. And hmm. by October, it was in supermarkets in Hong Kong, which shows from coming up with the idea in August to 
few months later being in export markets and being sold throughout New Zealand. The quickness that we were able to launch that into market. Then actually just this year in February or March, we had a call from a local school, the Motueka Steiner School, who had some peers that were going to waste because they'd been damaged by hail. We had about a week to figure out what to do with an orchard full of peers. And so we put that through our process and uh, a week later it launched into all countdown stores uh, with a label and everything. So <laughs> it's been really exciting to see innovation and agility that we learned during lockdown be applied now to changing mm. trends in the market or to food waste and all of these other situations that require speed that we might not previously have been able to respond to so quickly. And gives mm. us a competitive advantage to other larger companies that might take a couple years to do diligent market research, which I'm sure pays off as well. <laughs> it's going to be hard to maintain that level of not just for you, but for, for many organisations, maintain that level of urgency to the task, the ability to make decisions so quickly. There's nothing like a crisis to focus the mind. I think that's true. I would say we also have a climate change crisis at the moment. There is a emerging group of very innovative entrepreneurial people in New Zealand in the food system space. I'm working with a group, Future Food Aotearoa, who are considering how we can change food systems in New Zealand to be more sustainable. I guess to be more long-term focused, you know, how can we think about what we want our food systems to look like, not just next year, but say next decade or in the next hundred years? And how can New Zealand sustainably be feeding our own people and nutritiously and also, you know, Pacific and Asia? Hmm. Uh, we're going to come back to that. I just want to finish the COVID conversation. Many businesses now are finding the opposite problem exists, that they're having production issues, uh, supply issues, just because the demand is so great. Uh, have you found now that supply of products or freight is holding you back? Certainly imports and exports are greatly affected. I think we're really fortunate that a lot of our ingredients are sourced locally. Our boys and berries are from 10 kilometres from our factory. Uh, so we've been really lucky in that situation that New Zealand is still very much operating and we can send a truck down the road to get some more ingredients if needed. So it's more about supplying your customers rather than supplying your factory so much? Yeah, certainly we're working on a few large export deals, which involve shipping containers and that price of containers exporting has skyrocketed. We're looking at how we can share with other local food and beverage businesses to enter those export markets and share containers together. Yeah, necessity is the mother of invention. <laughs> Florence, tell us more about Future Foods Aotearoa. The background to this was a group that went to Indonesia with a food entrepreneur trip uh, with the Asia New Zealand Foundation and mm. we spent seven days in Indonesia looking at food systems at sustainability, understanding more about Indonesia and Asia spent a lot of time um, stuck in traffic in Jakarta talking about our own businesses and how we could be working more closely. We've had a loose group for a while that has formalised in the last 12 months to become Future Food Aotearoa. We now have 50 others as part of cohort Tahi. Our vision is to have and build and support a new generation of thoughtful food companies that will have the ability to change our food systems. At the moment, we feel like New Zealand is a big food exporter, but perhaps we could be more thoughtful in what type of food we're exporting and who we're exporting to. Are we feeding our own people nutritiously first? So just looking at 
some of these bigger questions that if we don't start considering the long term when we're answering them, we're just going to keep making the same mistakes over and over. What are the problems or those mistakes that the current food system is suffering from? Traditional food exports in New Zealand are based on an intensity of land use that simply cannot be kept up. It's just not sustainable. I'm not a scientific expert on that, so I won't go into it, but it is um, clear even in mainstream science that beef and lamb and dairy isn't going to be a sustainable source of food for the world in the long term. So it's considering how we can use our beautiful land in New Zealand more sustainably and how we can be a bit smarter, be value-add. How can we be the most sustainable, the most nutritious, feed our people and that Asia-Pacific rim in a better way? What are the early conclusions you are coming to? A really awesome thing about our group is that there's actually so many cool entrepreneurs doing amazing things. Uh, There's Otis Oat Milk down in Dunedin. They are um, the very first company in New Zealand using New Zealand oats to make oat milk. They're doing very, very well. There's the Hemp Brothers in Canterbury. There's Impossible Foods that's making a big mark in New Zealand. Lilo Desserts out of Queenstown. I mean, the list goes on and on. And when you start doing a bit of digging, you realise there's actually hundreds of small companies in New Zealand that are acting in really ethical ways. They just need a bit of support, a bit of investment and growth, the right export opportunities, a lot of them will really ignite. Chloe, this um, spectrum for volume to value and New Zealand has traditionally operated at the volume end. You'd see that in forestry, you'd see it in milk production and in meat production and wool production. And that served New Zealand well for a long time. But you as a business and the ones Lawrence was talking about in Future Foods, Aotearoa, are typically value driven. And that usually means short run and boutique. My question is, could you imagine also becoming a large scale manufacturer? So I think firstly, yes, we are values run we're nutritional foods that are innovative and it's not a bulk situation however if we want to feed the world then the way to do that is through providing nutrition through providing the things that people need to keep themselves healthy and that should be done at a large volume in my mind and can that be done can you envisage a time when chia sisters is done at scale absolutely there's no reason why we can't be producing as much uh, as anyone else but doing it in a nutritional way and using nutritional ingredients. It's about what you choose to put in. I'm just running into the future now, imagining you as this massive multinational <laughs> speaking to me now from your super yacht. Does that mean you are based always in Nelson and are becoming a major exporter from Nelson? Or is there some sort of ingredient, uh, a recipe for success, quite literally probably, that could mean that you're a local supplier in many different countries? I think we're unsure about what that looks like right now. We certainly could be supplying local ingredients to locals all over the world and a model like that. At the moment, we're very much focused on staying in Nelson and working within the economy here. Hmm. Yeah, well, it's probably an unfair question to imagine, you know, predict your business plan 20 years future. But um, it's, a, it's an interesting challenge for New Zealand if we do want to be operating at scale, but also fulfill our obligations. And now's probably a good time to mention that you've put, put in your part of your strategic obligations, a commitment to the UN Development Goals and 
uh, just one more marker, I suppose, of your commitment to sustainability. So yeah. this question, I think, is pretty interesting of creating scale, but staying true to these ethical roots that you've created. For us, it's about thinking about those ethical roots and that sustainability in every decision that we make. It's really hard to imagine now what that would look like in 20 years' time. But, for example, just eliminating air freight rather than sea freight is one easy way for us to make exporting much, much more sustainable and yes. there's so many innovations and interesting things are happening in all different industries all the time that we are keen to harness and make use of for us it's just thinking every stage of our growth using that as an opportunity to become more sustainable and a lot of people in the past have asked us won't you lose your sustainability as you get bigger but actually the opposite has happened for us you know when we moved into our new factory we got the opportunity to line it with solar panels and that's just one example but we hope that with every increase in our business we can incorporate more sustainability values rather than less. Just to add to that we can look to the future and say what do we want the future to look like? What does the beverage industry look like in 20, 50, 100 years time? And how can we start working towards that now? For example, we think that we could get rid of packaging altogether, single-use packaging. And we've started doing that by using reusable kegs, which we can send out to cafes and then they get returned and refilled. Every beverage could be doing that. Get rid of the bottle completely. So there's lots of ideas that come from looking at what you want the future to be like and working back from that. Hmm. And your point is, if you're staying true to your ethical base, then scale is manageable, seen through the lens of your values. Absolutely. Hmm. The future for New Zealand food then, are you feeling optimistic or uh, pessimistic given our continued reliance on sort of large scale intensified agriculture? Tell me about your own sort of personal sense of how big is this problem, Florence, and how activist do you want to become? (laughs) (laughs) I think the problem is huge, but I am also quite optimistic and I'm optimistic because the mainstream have made a shift when a consumer wants something the industry will follow and it's a pity that it's had to happen like that but it is so clear from the likes of the climate strike that young people today are going to be feeding themselves but also just living life in a completely different way to our generation or the generation above us and businesses are going to adapt to provide consumers with what they want. Hmm. Collaborating with some other entrepreneurs, smaller businesses our size, but just seeing the awesome stuff that they're doing. This country has no shortage of innovation, no shortage of sustainability. We just need to make sure we're supporting the right people. I'm curious, and I'm sure lots of the listeners are curious too, what it's like working with your sister, Chloe. You were running quite a good operation by yourself, and then Florence turned up. Tell us about what it's like working together in a family business. (laughs) That's funny. Everyone asks this question and I'm sure they're just (laughs) wanting some juicy little detail. But, you know, the truth of it is that we work really well together because we know each other so well. Interesting. And then you've involved your parents as well. So, you know, you're making your mum's muesli or in fact, she's making the muesli. And, and I think your your dad was a um, was an early guinea pig, was he not, on the um, on the drinks? Yeah. So dad was a world champion swimmer. So best in the world for his age group, under 65, for butterfly. So he was uh, the perfect guinea pig for us to trial cheer. <laughs> and he used it with his swim team. And he's always there on call. If something goes wrong, we give dad a call, don't we? <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) And mum has been an amazing support as well. 
Oh, that's fantastic. Well, I wish you all the best. And if we want to go and buy some products online, how do we find you? You can head to chia.co.nz. Wow. So you've got the URL for the entire Chia category. That's fantastic. Chloe and Florence van Dyke, thank you so much and uh, all the best for the future. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to This Climate Business. I hope you enjoyed the program. There are more episodes as well as notes and blogs on our website, thisclimatebusiness.com. I'm Vincent Herringer, and if you know someone who deserves to be interviewed on our show, email me, vincent at thisclimatebusiness.com, or find me on Twitter, vherringer, that's two E's, one R. Meanwhile, I'll be back same time next week, and no hurrah.